Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Pilati, and I am excited today to have Ankit Harathi, who is the co-founder and CEO of Macro. Ankit, thanks so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I, I've known Ankit for a while, and he's in iteration mode on a product and a couple products that he's worked on, which are all built around existing ecosystems. So one of the early versions of Macro uh, was another tool called Marlow, which uh, they were building on top of Slack, and they did all sorts of like growth-related things to drive adoption through teams in Slack. So a, a single person would adopt it, and then they tried to get many others on the team to pick it up and start using it. Uh, and now Macro is a layer that sits on top of Zoom. Uh, and so I'm excited to, I've been using it for a while, and I'm excited to dig in on the things that they do to drive other people to say, huh, what's macro? Can I start using that? And the tactics that they've done there. So why don't we go ahead and start from like the early iterations and we'll work our way to, to what you have today. So you're building Marlowe on top of Slack. What were some of the things that you did to try to grow that user base early on? Slack was just a very interesting choice. Because what we actually tried to focus on, so John, my co-founder, and I were really obsessed with these growth clusters, we kind of called them, where where could you just get chunks of people at the same time in terms of acquisition instead of like picking off every single individual user? Um, because we, we've seen all the tweets about how first-time founders focus on product and second-time founders focus on distribution. And we obviously wanted to do both because we knew that we know that to be successful, you eventually need to get to product distribution and, and a whole lot of other things. So we looked at like, where could we chunk users off in segments of like many at a time, as opposed to one after the other. And Slack was one avenue where I'm not sure if they've changed their security settings around this at all. And they might in the future, but at least when we were building on them about two years ago, it was still possible where if you had a Slack bot and you added it to any Slack workspace, you instantly had access to every single person that had ever been in that workspace. So Matt, in the Drift Slack, if you added Marlowe to the Slack, we'd actually know all 500 at the time Drift employees, and we'd be able to scrape all their information, see their email addresses tied to their Slack profile, anything that was made public in their Slack profile. Obviously, we were not going to just spam all those people with the Slack bot messages because we had no content to send them that was actually relevant. But what we did was we focused on, okay, how can we actually immediately get access to a bunch of users? And then secondly, what can we provide to them that was super valuable? So Marlowe was created out of the idea that Meetings suck. We always complain about meetings, but we don't really take action to, work to make meetings better. And this was pre-COVID. People were meeting in person most of the time. This was around September of 2018, actually, is when we started this idea of Marlowe. And the idea was super simple. It was like, let's just rate meetings. Let's just collect a score for meetings. Let's take NPS and make it NMS, which was net meeting score, a little cutesy way to gamify the, the meeting scoring experience. What Marlowe did was you would add it to Slack. And you would connect your calendar. So speaking of like growth clusters, another great growth hack is calendars. They're inherently social. There's a ton of metadata around calendar events. And you can pick up who you're meeting with, how long you're meeting with them, the email addresses of the people you're meeting with, the names. And you've, calendars are actually just an in, incredibly dense social graph of the people you're literally spending time with. And what Marlo would do is ingest your calendar information, was on your Slack. You'd get out of the meeting and it would ping you and say, hey, Matt, what do you think of this meeting? You'd have emojis to pick from rating the meeting. And then it would actually, as a, our first growth hack, we would look at who was in that calendar event with you. 
look at their email addresses, look at the email address on Slack and fuzzy match. And Drift went through a bunch of different name changes with some two T's and two F's. And so there's a lot of like interesting matching logic we had to do. But we'd match the people on your calendar with people who are in your Slack. And then we'd message them on Slack. And these, these would be people who had never heard or knew what Marla was. So then we would actually give them a warm introduction and say, hey, Elizabeth, Matt uh, added Marla to Slack to rate his meetings. Saw you just got out of a meeting with him. What do you think of this meeting? And that was kind of our way at trying to grow user base of like using the calendar, but then inform them of why was this random Slack bot messaging them by making it actually a very human context of piggybacking on the person that had connected their calendar to Marlo. Um, so that was kind of the initial genesis of Marlo. And one thing that we actually did at the very end was kind of closing the growth loop and saying after Elizabeth or whoever had rated their meetings, we would actually say, hey, do you want to rate your own meetings, not just the ones that you're actually only in with Matt? connect your own calendar here and we'd send them the link to OAuth their calendar. And so that very quickly became a viral loop. We actually tracked it using K-Factor, like social media companies looking at what percentage of people after they'd been exposed to this application would then connect their calendar. Um, and we actually optimized purely for that. I love the, this, the concept of the growth clusters, where do they exist and layering on top of what is an inherently social thing because that gives you so many more levers to build on top of, right? Like the calendar is inherently social, whereas something, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, that's less social, like a, like a task management tool, like project management tool, inherently social, because generally you're doing tasks with other people versus if you're trying to do like growth type tactics on something where you're generally the only user, like I pick it up and I don't have touch points, mm -hmm. then there's a lot less to do that. Yep, Exactly. Yeah, so that was that was a great learning too. And it sounds like, oh, we kind of master planned this in retrospect, but really we were just like obsessed with this idea of meeting, measuring meetings. And the best way we found to do that was Slack and through, through the calendar. But we initially tried for even in-person events, but it was, but now with the rise of software and how you're in Slack before the meeting, you're in Slack right after the meeting, like software makes it a lot easier to have more touch points to the user as close to, the event that you're trying to measure or where you're trying to interject yourself into the workflow. Yeah. And something you just touched on, which is the, like how close you're injecting yourself to it. I think that that's one of the things that was kind of magical about the way it was structured for Marlowe was I get out of the meeting. As soon as I get out of the meeting, there's a touch point, which is, it's such a natural flow of time versus something that like sends an asynchronous email like detached from that whereas you were showing up to other people saying hey you were also in this meeting do you want to rate it and doing so at a time where it was like the lowest friction highest relevance yeah we actually tried to optimize that actually a little bit by looking at how long after the meeting ended should we send the notification? Because if we actually send it immediately, one, as you know, meetings tend to go over. So you're actually probably still in the meeting. And how often if you're in a meeting, you get a Slack notification, you look at it and ignore it saying, I'll deal with this later and never come back to it because you forget about it. Especially if it's from a bot, you're very un unlikely to revisit that channel and re-answer that poll. The second is in in-person meetings, when the meeting ends, what do you do? Well, you actually close your laptop you pick it up and you walk out of the conference room and you're going back to your desk or going to your next meeting. And so, again, if you get a Slack message while you're opening up your computer and you have a ton of notifications, you're very unlikely to respond. So we tried to test a little bit of 
when is the best time to actually send the user that notification? And we found that our highest engagement was around three minutes after the meeting ended. We even tested asking at the end of the day because people have back-to-back meetings. Maybe they'll just get the notifications all at the end of the day saying, hey, rate the five meetings you were in today. Boom, 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 boom. We found then that people would kind of forget what had happened in those meetings in the in the kind of like zombie state of just walking through your day and so asking them at the end of the day. You forget how you'd rate it, what specific feedback you'd want to give anonymously to that meeting. So it was in the moment and timing it just right after that ended where we could try to grab your attention a little bit. I think the thoughtfulness there is so critical in a way that a lot of other products that try to do similar growth tactics miss. Like the amount of websites that you go to where you show up and immediately immediately it's like sign up for a mailing list or, you know, like 15% off or, you know, like I, I log into something and immediately it's asking me to refer my friends. It's like, this is not the time to ask me, right? But like what you spent so much time doing was fine tuning. Like when is the right time to ask? Because that matters so much in the conversion rate. Because if you don't get it, yeah, if you don't get it in the right moment, then I mean, the the amount of times that I've dismissed like, do you like our app that you're using? Like the timing of it is just bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I don't want any part in it. And it's, it's easy for you to get something like that wrong and then annoy people as their first touch point rather than, feel like, oh, this fits here. I can interact with it. Yeah. And especially in feedback, like survey responses are like historically very low. I think the average, and I might be wrong on this, but from what I remember, the average response rate when you're sending like a large survey feedback is around 15 to 20% is pretty average. What we were seeing with Marlowe, especially in the first 30 days of a user's life, the response rate would be anywhere between 70 to 85% as like they would respond to every single one of the polls or 85% of like polls sent out would actually have a response sent to them. So I think the medium of Slack was incredibly beneficial, the timing of it, and also the simpleness of the question. It's a one question, emoji-based answer. You don't have to think about it. You're not reading what are the options of response. That was the only part of it that was required. You send one question. You could send follow-up data of like choosing from pre-bucketed options of why the meeting sucked or taking writing a takeaway if you thought it was good. But we tried to make it simple, meaningful, as lightweight as possible. Cool. So let's talk through the pivot yeah. to what the product is today, which is Macro. And Macro is built in a similar way on top of another existing system. It still pertains to meeting. So maybe let's like transition by just giving folks listening context as to like why you made that switch. And then we can talk about the things that you've done in Macro to drive growth. Yeah. So... Marlowe was essentially a a data play. We grew incredibly quickly based off of all those growth hacks. Within a few months, we had 30,000 team, like business users, uh, companies like Drift, like, you know, larger, even Fortune 50s, Fortune 500s, because a lot of them use Slack now. So it was great for both intra virality and uh, inter, like between company virality there too. We grew super quickly and we had a ton of data. And very honestly, we didn't spend a lot of time looking at that data until the very end. And when we looked at it, we found some really interesting things. We could trend people's meetings over time, who they were meeting with, how effective those meetings were. We had this idea of creating a dashboard of like your meeting makers and breakers. Who who could you meet with and you'd probably have a good meeting or who would you have a really, we could predict you'd not have a great meeting with based off the people. What was most interesting to us is actually why the meetings were not great. And what we saw is in virtual meetings specifically, because we could see the calendar invite, there's a Zoom link, Google Meet link. They were typically rated a lot lower than in-person meetings. And the biggest source of feedback for virtual meetings was one of our pre-bucketed options was not enough voices were heard. 
basically somebody or a group of people dominated the conversation, making that meeting unproductive. And we just had an idea of what if we had Pokemon style health bars underneath every single person in the meeting. And you can see this, these people have like, they had, they had no health left. They're dying. You haven't included them in the conversation, like bring them back, resuscitate them, resuscitate them back to life. And that was an idea we had. The ob- other option we were considering is do we become a full-blown analytics company? We had a lot of users asking us, I want analytics on how my meetings are tracking over time. We had managers saying, I'd love to know how my employees are conducting, my direct reports are conducting their meetings, how they're effectively spending their time. And very honestly, we did not want to become an analytics company. We, John and I, our DNA is very much more consumer. We both worked in consumer-facing roles prior to com- starting the company. We want to provide end-user value and we felt like becoming an analytics big brother type company, you have this inner flywheel of people providing feedback, but then the value is actually the data. But if you feel like you're being spied on by your manager, you're being reported on how effectively your meetings are going, you're not going to keep submitting that feedback and then the flywheel breaks down. And it was kind of, it's kind of a shitty thing and we didn't want to be that company. So instead what we did was we took that data and said, we want to make meetings better. Here's, a, here's one nugget that people are dominating the conversation. Let's go fix it. And the core decision we made is let's go fix it live. Like we don't want to be telling you after the meeting, hey, that meeting sucked. Here's why. Try to remember this next time you go into a meeting. Like, no, no one's going to remember that. People have information overload and recommendation overload today. So we wanted to fix it live while it was happening through an interface that was familiar. And so we made the decision to build an interface on top of Zoom. And at the time we started building, which was November of 2019, no one had done this before. Um, which is essentially create a custom Zoom client, meaning our app, Macro, you could join any Zoom meeting with, and it didn't matter if anyone else was on Zoom or not. It was able to actually join Zoom meetings. Um, And critically for us, that was the most important thing to get right from the very beginning from a growth perspective is we wanted high trial ability, meaning we wanted to make sure that anyone who even wanted to try this product could immediately start to use it. And they didn't need their whole team to switch. They didn't need the IT admin to approve it. They didn't need a company contract being written, none of that. You already had a Zoom subscription. Let's actually just use that. And you can use our app to join all those Zoom meetings and those same Zoom links that were in the calendar. So minimize behavior change, minimize like switching cost for you to actually start to try our app, high trial ability, and also no effect on your team. And so we, fo- we focus on single player. We call it kind of single player mode where we're pro- providing value to the end user. And let's get them on uh, on macro using it on top of their Zoom meetings. And we started with that feature airtime to show how much each person had been contributing in the meetings. So you could self-regulate, you could see who'd been left out um, and easily add them to the conversation. So focused on single player mode, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're trying to get that use case right. How do you then think about how do you get another person in that Zoom meeting to try out, know about macro and try it out? Yeah, so that was exactly where we benefited a ton from the trial ability, but then we saw like it very initially, hey, these people are enjoying macro and they're meeting with the same people over and over again, but those people are still joining on Zoom. How do we convert those people? The same kind of K-factor debate of you meet, you're meeting with 10 people, one of them's on macro, the rest nine of them, how often do they, how, when, when do they convert to using macro? And so we did a couple of different things. So the first is uh, a very cutesy thing. We up- optionally we change your name in zoom to say matt Bellotti parentheses joined with macro and the name in zoom shows up to everyone so the tough part about building our own interface is that we could not control what anybody else saw 
because they were still joining via Zoom. So the only surface area that we could actually control was the video feed and the name of the actual of the people who are joining through Macro. So when joining with Macro, if you change if you set the setting, your name will have join via macro appended to it. And so people see that and we prompt the, the people could prompt the conversation. Hey, what's macro? I see your name says that in there. And we're trying to create as many moments like that as possible. Um, we also, in that setting, in our setting says, like we literally write, we're a small company just trying to grow, leave this on to help us out. Making it very honest, like this is not going to really help you unless you want to show off that you're using macro, which actually some people like. We're just really honest about this is kind of a growth lever for us. If you're representing us publicly, we'd love for you to do that and making that so that it was very transparent to the user. That was our first. The second big growth lever that we started to pull on was your Zoom contacts. So similar to Slack, you're kind of on, your company's on one Slack subscription. And so everyone is on the same Slack. Same thing with Zoom. Everyone's on the same Zoom subscription. What's different about Zoom, though, is it, when Macro is downloaded, it's an individual choice. We actually do get access to your Zoom contacts. And so what we do is we actually populate those contacts into our application. And similar to like a mobile app or a social media app, when you download it, it'll say, hey, here are your contacts like from your address book, like invite whoever. We do the same thing in Macro, too, where... Instead of you having to go and search their email addresses, copy an invite link, send it to somebody, we pre-populate your contacts from Zoom, who you've been meeting with, who's on your company, Zoom account. And with one click, you can hover over their name and invite them. So we're trying to remove the friction from like, okay, you have the intent to share. Now, how is it? how easy is it for you to share? And um, so that's kind of the second big chunk of using existing contact history. And the last is, I think, something that you had just recently seen where we modify your video frame. So in macro expression is really core to what we do. And a lot of that comes through to the video, which is video shapes, video filters, video reactions. And so we have a camera layer that control is very customized. And so now when you join any Zoom meeting, you actually appear the same way to Zoom users as you do in macro. Is And it's very different than the kind of normal 16 by nine box that Zoom users are accustomed to. And so that prompts a lot of questions that you kind of were talking about earlier, Matt, where people are like, how did you do that? How did you appear in that shape? How do I do that? And that's what we want people to say is like, how did you do that? How do I get that? Um, so that's what we've done so far. And we have a couple of other ideas on how to keep that viral growth loop of and, and optimizing that K factor going further. Yeah. I, I love the, the stuff that you guys are doing. I mean, I, like from my own experience, when I left on the like join via macro uh, io, and maybe one out of every 10 or 15 people that joined the meeting with me would ask me about it, like, hey, Matt, what's macro? And I would, I would tell them about it. And then since you made that change where you show me in my, in my circle to other people, it's like more than half of people that join a Zoom with me is like, how are you a circle? And it prompts that conversation. And because I love using the product, which I think is important here, like mm-hmm. there's a difference between uh, making a change like that to, to prompt a conversation when the user generally is more like passive on the product or is not excited about it or would rather it be a like my thing versus macro. Like I'm excited when people ask because I get to talk about it and it's this cool thing and I get to like bring somebody into the like know of what this thing is and how they can get it to. Yeah, so there's, I think, three core decisions that we made to get to that point. The first is we're prioritizing the people who love us. So I, in an early stage company like you, 
you can't try to appease the needs of everyone. And what we've built is really opinionated software. Like we know that there are people who are going to not like the product, maybe hate the product, like find zero or negative value in it. There are people who absolutely love the product and this is their go-to. It's replaced all their Zoom client usage with our application to join all their Zoom meetings, et cetera. And there are people in the middle who kind of feel like this is interesting. I'll be more passive. And we chose to just, we're only going to optimize for the people because we want to get a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand people who absolutely love us and find and excavate and keep defining that core persona. And so we want the people to use who use macro every single day to be obsessed with it, to love all the features and that we're, we know that we're serving them really, really well. That was the first decision is like optimize for the, for your true fans. The second was actually not a growth related decision, but a product decision, which is it was necessary for us, especially in the pillar of expression, for you to appear the same way in macro as you did in Zoom. One of the biggest pain points that we had heard of is there's this like kind of barrier and confusion to, okay, I look the same. I look this way in macro. It's a custom interface. It's very different than Zoom. It's, it's a, yeah, it's completely a completely different app. How do I look to Zoom users? Like, what do they see? I like, and a lot of that stems from the hesitation of and the fear that like, I don't want to be disruptive to other people in the meeting. I want to control my background. I want to control my experience. And when you talk about expression, we want to make the user feel in control. So it was core for us to say, whatever, however you look in macro, however you're choosing your, to present yourself in macro, you will look the exact same to a user joining that meeting in Zoom. And that was kind of a non-negotiable for us as well. And the benefit of that is that third point, which is it is great product marketing. It's a great conversation topic. It's very visible and it's impossible to ignore when you join a meeting with someone in macro. Any other uh, growth related things that you're thinking about or, you know, uh, approaching that you want to share before we call it a wrap here? Yeah. So I think that the only, what we're thinking about now is the second kind of phase, which is the first is this awareness. We want to get as many people aware that someone is joining their Zoom meeting in macro. And so the awareness comes through the join via macro, through the uh, the shapes reflecting on the Zoom and the filters, the reactions. The second is conversion. As soon as we prompt the conversation of how'd you do that? How can I do that? The intent is there. Now we actually have to make that as easy and as simple as possible for them to immediately join. And so when we're thinking about um, that conversion step, one of our ideas is around deep linking. So as soon as you say, how'd you do that? How can I do that? With one click, we want to make it so that you, Matt, can send a link uh, through Macro and it will appear in Zoom chat to anybody else in that meeting. They can click it and without even thinking about it, they're now in that meeting with Macro. And yes, there's more steps involved. It's a downloadable. We don't have a web interface. Zoom Web SDK is still kind of in its infancy. But making it super simple so that once they go through the download and install it, they don't have to do any setup. They don't have to do any configuration. They're immediately in that same meeting with you where they had that conversation, but now through macro. So that's kind of our next step that we're trying to focus on. I love it. It's all about like things I've, I've learned here. It's all about being thoughtful around like the message and the timing. It's about making sure that you're showing up in the right way, that you're aligning with like the product identity. Like it, it kind of all falls into place. Uh, and then it's all, also about removing as much friction as possible to that conversion point and the like, let me share this with somebody. I love what you guys are doing and I'm excited to keep opening macro every day and finding some new stuff and, and talking about it with people that ask why I'm in a circle. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, Matt, thank you for having me on the podcast. Thanks for the drift folks too. It's been great chatting. Absolutely. For those of you listening, thank you so much for spending your time here. If you like this episode, check out 
there's dozens of other ones with great guests. They're worth a, worth a listen. If you're a fan of this episode, hit the subscribe button as well. But super appreciate that. If you've got any feedback, anything like that, my email is matadrift.com. I know there are so many things you can do with your time, energy, effort, stuff you could watch, listen to, work on, whatever it is, and you're spending it here listening to the podcast, and I super appreciate that. If you liked it, also, a review would be cool. Written review, I'm trying to get a few more of those, but otherwise, I will be quiet and wrap the episode. So thanks so much for listening. Catch you on the next episode.